Hello, Joanna. Hello, Nate. Here we are again. Looks like we're trying out a new intro. We are. <laughs> we're delving into the unsolved, the mysterious, the new intros, the misunderstood, the creepy. This is Stranger Than. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much for listening. We hope this finds you well. And we would like to give a special shout out before we get things going to our Patreon subscribers. We have two new ones. We've got Susie and Consandra. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. We really do appreciate it. If you have not received stickers by the time you hear this episode, stickers are hopefully on the way. Absolutely. And what are we talking about this time, Joanna? Well, Nate, today we will be talking about near-death experiences. Near-death experiences? Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you regale us with a tale of a near-death experience? Okay. So I guess before we get into the ins and outs of it, I'll just do a couple interesting quick ones. Yeah, just, uh, um, just to sort of get everyone acclimated before we get into it. Right. These ones depict the out-of-body experience that a lot of people have when they have a near-death experience. These come from a couple of different studies. There's been a lot of studies on near-death experiences. This one mentions a patient, and it's in the Pim Van Lummel study. And it talks about a man who had been in a deep coma, and he later told the nurse that he recognized her and saw where she had placed his dentures during resuscitation efforts. Really? Yeah. And he even described the cart that she had placed them on. And they were right where he said they would be, where she had put them. I'll be damned. Dentures, man. We need them for chewing. Mm-hmm. If you don't have chompers. God, I feel like I'm about to, like, not have any chompers at the rate yeah. I'm going. <laughs> Yeah, you don't. Yeah, that's not good. I am like legit just so fucking sick of going to the goddamn dentist. It's been like every couple of weeks now. Not not fun. Yeah. Not fun at all. The second one tooth has been fixed. It's been another one. And it's all been major. Root canals, a soon to be extraction. Like enough. And it's not even <laughs> like you can take pharmaceuticals for fun because they make you uh, sick, so it's no. like you just have to deal with the pain. Yeah, and it can be pretty excruciating when it comes to dental work. That's just awful, and I just want it to stop. It yeah. just needs to stop. Yeah, I can... <laughs> uh, I, I can't relate. I haven't had much problems with that sort of thing, but I am fine with that. I can def definitely sympathize. Yeah. It sucks. Dr. Bruce Grayson, who works at the Department of Psychiatric Medicine at the University of Virginia, told a story of one woman's description of the plaid shoelaces that a nurse was wearing. So this woman has to be resuscitated, and she later describes the shoelaces that one of the nurses, um, who was assisting in her resuscitation, talked about the shoelaces she was wearing to the T. I mean, plaid shoelaces, that's pretty random. Probably, yeah. I don't think I've Unless ever seen anybody... Unless it's a thing that anybody... at that hospital do. Well, you know, sometimes you got to do stuff to dress up scrubs. 
Yeah, I can. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, being a nurse is the type of job where, yeah, you wouldn't want to wear your nice clothes there, no, but still, like, I mean, it gets awfully boring just wearing same shit all the time. Yeah. 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 So you you do things to make you spice unique, it up, and spice I guess, it up. I guess shoelaces add a little would be one flair. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I'll I'll take it. I'll take it. I love that about. Is that the office where Jennifer Aniston has the job at? And yes. she has to wear like the thirty-two uh, pieces of flair, uh, no, or she office, wears office space. Office space, yes, yeah, that's the what I meant. Office is the the show. Is the show, yes. Or maybe she was. It was less like she was required to wear like sixteen pieces of flair or eight pieces of flair, but like her freaking coworker, she was wearing. Yeah, she was wearing the bare minimum, and it's like, like, oh man, oh hey, so and so is wearing like thirty-two pieces of flair. Yeah, just yeah. But in, I guess, the nurse's position, you are are striving for flair as opposed yes. to that position where you're yes. you have flair forced upon you. Mm-hmm. No one wants forced flair. No, no, and it's just I can so relate with her attitude towards it because it's just like some stupid thing that your stupid work is making you do. That's like degrading and humiliating in some way. And no one gives a fucking shit about it. And no one gives a fucking shit about it. And then you do what's required in there. It's like, but why not more? You know, why aren't you going above and beyond this douchery that you don't even make very good money at? You know, it just it fucking sucks. Why don't you work for your $4, $4 <laughs> an hour? Seriously. Those were my little quick tales of an out-of-body experience. Why don't you uh, tell us more about some of the other things that happen during a near-death experience. A near-death experience is a thing recounted by the living who were at one point very near death or indeed dead, or by people who find themselves in a situation that a very real outcome could be death. Yeah, I got I got one of those where it doesn't even have to be like you are legally dead. You just have to think that you're about to die, like, like for a, sure. Like oh, your plane's going down. Mm-hmm, like or... some, something where you're like, this is it. Or your 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 parachute's not not coming yeah. out or, or something like that. Yeah, these experiences are fairly common and happen to people across all cultures, beliefs, and time. There are many stories of these experiences, and though they are varied in some of the details, a few of the details remain fairly constant. These details are ones that we've all heard about and have become a trope in modern storytelling. Here's a basic outline of a near-death experience. The individual will, will usually report that they know that they are dead, but they're fine with it. They're at peace. It's not a big deal. In many cases, it's reported that the individual is able to observe their body from an outside point of view. Often, the person is able to accurately describe the people trying to save their life. As we just heard a couple tales of. Yep, the man with the dentures. And, mm-hmm. Yep, knew, you know, describing the shoelaces. Yep. Then they'll feel the sensation of moving upwards through a tunnel to be met with a very bright light. The light accepts, and the light loves unconditionally. It's a very, very nice, very nice light. Mm-hmm. It sounds nice. Sometimes humanoids made of light are met. Sometimes there's deceased, oftentimes actually, there's deceased loved ones. Oftentimes the experiencer's life will flash before their eyes. And they're given a choice. Stay up here or, or go down or, you know, continue towards the light or, or go back to your body. And ultimately, they decide to come back. I'm sure the ones that don't decide to come back, we don't hear the stories of because they're probably dead. Mm-hmm. I've also heard, too, that 
they get told sometimes it's not their time yet. Yes. That they, they need yes. to go back. They they were meant to, to be on the earth still for a reason, and they need to go back. It's very another very common mm-hmm. thing that happens. And usually when these people come back to life, they find themselves pretty, like, changing themselves. Like, if they're Christian, they get— or if they believe in the Christian ideal, they become a very Christian. And, mm-hmm. you know, they just, whatever their religious or cultural thing, they'll just really latch on to and really, really just go gung ho for it. Right. A lot of them seem to lose the fear of death, too. Like they're no longer afraid of dying because, like, they know how great it is. Yes. I guess. Yeah. Or, <laughs> for or they know it's not their time. And so they're, you know, they, they're expecting that their time is. I guess I guess if you've already been there, you feel like you're in the know. It's not that big of a deal anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's especially when it turned out to be, you know, surprisingly pleasant. In most cases, yeah. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, there is a field of psychology and psychiatry that studies these near-death experiences. It's called near-death studies, and it looks into the physiology, phenomenology, and after-effects of near-death experiences, or NDEs. Say that 10 times fast. No shit, I think I just did. Not even (laughs) fast. Physiology is the study of how the biological mechanisms work, and phenomenology is the study of how the individual perceives their experience. Just their experience as as an individual. Though still not fully accepted by the academic community, NDEs are considered a more valid thing to research now than they have been in the past. But, of course, there's still plenty of people who deny NDEs as being anything more than hallucinations of a dying brain. In 1981, the International Association for Near-Death Studies opens its doors in Durham, North Carolina. IANDS is a nonprofit organization that studies NDEs and provides support for experiencers. There are chapters in several major cities, and the organization boasts 850 members worldwide. The organization started life in 1978 as the Association for the Scientific Study of Near-Death Phenomena. These folks published the Journal of Near-Death Studies, the only scholarly publication on the subject. Which is, like, still out today. Yeah. Yeah? It's still out today. But it's still, the, like, the only one, the only, like— Still the only one. Mm. And it's also—this associate—the this IANDS is still around. That's something else. Mm-hmm. It's becoming a more mainstream area of study. It's getting less and less weirdo shit because a lot of the mysticism can kind of be taken out of it. Yeah. Which we'll we'll get into. Yeah. Nineteen seventy five is when the NDEs were really first talked about scientifically. Dr. Raymond Moody first defined it as a feeling of epiphany in a person who would have died if not for medical intervention. His introduction to the subject was by a psychiatrist called Dr. George Ritchie, who told Moody about an NDE he'd experienced in the past. And that was pretty much that. Dr. Moody's research has led him to the open belief in an afterlife, which may sound crazy to some, but shouldn't invalidate him as a scientist. He was a forensic scientist at a maximum security state hospital in Georgia, and in 1998 was appointed chair in consciousness studies at University of Nevada in Las Vegas. So pretty legit. Yes, pretty legit. He's bonafide. He's also done research into past life regression. That's a little bit about the history of near-death experiences, so let's hear a few more stories. Well, more like the history of studying near-death experiences. That's that's very true. (laughs) As previously stated, 
these experiences are not bound by time. No, they they go back since man was breathing and dying and whatever. Exactly. And had any any basic rudimentary means to communicate what they were feeling. They were talking about this. I bet there are cave paintings about NDEs, but we just can't decipher that. Probably, or it's it wouldn't just hard surprise to me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it would not surprise me. Well, two of the more famous ones that are out there would be the account of four-year-old Colton Burpo. He is the kid who they did the book about Heaven is for Real and then the movie Heaven is for Real. Oh, yeah. So I actually have the movie like sitting like right behind you on my shelf. I just haven't watched it. And I was oh, like, really? oh, I'll watch it now that we're going to do this episode. But then I couldn't find the DVD remote. And I don't know. It just didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Did it you just... buy it specifically for this episode or did you just No, have I it? just it just happened to be one of those like, oh, it's like. Four ninety nine at Safeway. Oh use the, yeah, the 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 used rental copy. I was totally. like, oh, I'll give that. But I just, I don't know. Just lately, I just haven't been in the mood for it. I've been buying Ducktales because of that. They've been five dollars for seasons at at Fred Meyer, and so I have Ducktales season one and Ducktales season three. Dang, I love the Ducktales. That was the badass That's cartoon. That's a good one. I have them on my computer, but this quality is just shit. So having them on DVD is way nicer. Yeah, I bet. Colin Burpo basically had a near-death experience when his appendix like almost retroed. he had to have like emergency surgery over his appendix and yeah and if it ruptures i mean that will kill you if not nearly kill you definitely if you don't get help you're gonna die yeah he has emergency surgery he's in a coma i believe for a while and then after he recovers he starts saying like crazy stuff to his mom about just stuff that like he wouldn't have known about at all. Right. Uh, about like his mom miscarried a girl and she never told him about that, but he knew about her. Yeah. Cause why would you tell uh, how old was he again? Well, he was just like four. Yeah. Why would you tell your four year old that? Oh man, you almost <laughs> had a sister, but like I miscarried it. Oh, yeah. let me tell you all about miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yeah, that's, that's a conversation awesome. you're going to have with a child. Right. Creepy ass kids. It's like with the past life shit. You've got these kids telling you this fucking creepy shit, and it's just no good. Oh, I know. Good. I know. I don't need to hear this from you. He also knew a lot about his great grandfather who had died, I guess, like 30 years before he was born. Had no business knowing even right. what the hell a great grandfather was right. at four years old. And so those statements kind of led them to believe that he had had a near death experience. Yeah, because one of the things they talk about is is seeing ancestors, and especially if you're a child, I'm sure you're, I mean, everyone likes kids. Right. I mean, almost. He also met Jesus riding a rainbow-colored horse and sat in Jesus' lap while angels sang songs to him. Holy shit. Yeah. Now, this is rainbow horse. Uh, I feel like some other sources said rainbow unicorn, but I could be wrong. Maybe I just assumed it was a unicorn because it was rainbow-colored. And, you know, if I was Jesus... I would it's just like, definitely I just, be hanging with a unicorn instead of a regular horse. Maybe it's like the what's the what's that zebra with the gum? The zebra with the gum? Yeah, there's the there's the, the, the Oh yeah, that that okay, the gum, the zebra gum. Yeah. That's like super yummy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there was the commercial that had the zebra with all the mm-hmm. different colors. I don't know. I just imagine like Jesus on the rainbow colored horse or unicorn. It's like, "Oh, 
<laughs> it's gay Jesus. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it just makes me laugh uh, so hard when I try and picture that in my head. He's wearing like a, he's wearing graphic. a necktie like a big gay owl from South Park. There you go. <laughs> Obviously, there's been some critics of the story. Of course. I guess he did recant at some point after things kind of got famous, but then he recanted his recantation. Yeah, I mean, he's still a child at this point. Right. I don't know how old he is now, though. Oh, so it, yeah, it, it he's was, like older now. It was older that he recanted. Yes. But even but I don't still, know. I don't. I, mean, I don't know at what age he recanted. Yeah. I'm just saying along the way he recanted, but then said that no, everything that was like in the book is true he his experience in heaven was real to him yeah yeah well who's to say it wasn't right really it's we can talk about it all we want but we'll never really know unless unless until it happens you don't know and we've talked about it before i mean if you believe 100 percent in your mind that something's happened then i mean has it happened if you're told it's happened and you believe it happened then hey if it right. affects you, then who's to say it didn't happen? Yeah. Man, I am just too tired to get into, like, is reality real right now? I'm just going to tell you that right now. So It's not real. <laughs> uh, no. Another really famous one is the one where it's, like, the neurosurgeon guy. I know that sounds awesome. The neurosurgeon guy. <laughs> the neurosurgeon guy. Uh, Dr. Eben Alexander, and he wrote Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife. He apparently had a near-death experience when he was in a medically induced coma because he was suffering from meningitis. Oh. This was back in 2008, and he had an out-of-body experience. He felt his consciousness like leave his body, and he thinks that the consciousness is independent of the brain and that there is this whole nother realm that you transition to following death. One thing that people think is that the brain is like kind of just an organ that picks up the consciousness mm -hmm. as opposed to an organ that creates the consciousness. It's interesting. Have you ever seen that meme that's out there about, I can't even remember what it says, but Something about like everything, like this is the part of you that your whole body is just like encasing and it's your brain and your spinal cord and your eyeballs and it just looks so fucking weird. Your nervous system. Oh, yeah. Basically just separated from the rest of your body. And I mean, it's like, damn, we look like fucking aliens. This is the important parts implanted into like the rest of the meat and the blood and the bone and the flesh. It's like a computer. Mm -hmm. If you pull out all the parts, it looks a lot different than the box that we normally think of. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of that freaky like Borg chick in, yeah, Star, yeah. in Star Trek. <laughs> and if you pull when all they, like, the When shit... they like put the, like, the new head on her and bleh. she's got a little like freaking spine thing hanging out and. Yeah. Something else. It's pretty freaky. Obviously, Dr. Alexander has also been criticized. I mean, the guy's a neurosurgeon who turned into a true believer of, well, I guess he does say proof that heaven is real, so he believes it's heaven. Yeah, well, it's we're, we're getting a lot of very Western 
people who are doing it. So they're obviously going to think it's the general idea of the West of what the afterlife is. Right. Cultural expectations of what death is going to be like play yeah. a big part in the person's individual NDE big time. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is, I mean... It, not shocking. So I actually did find a couple of stories that are like non-westernized oh, good. experiences. Outstanding. Because, yeah, like the most detailed experiences come from westernized culture. That's where most of the studies are done in the U.S. or Great Britain. So there's not a lot of ones done outside of western culture. So it's it's interesting to see how some of those experiences differ. Oh, shit. And there actually yeah. could be tons of research going on in China, and we just don't know because yeah. they don't let it out. <laughs> and Russia well, is the one same. Well, one, so. is, one is, is actually China. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I'll be damned. <laughs> Real quick, though, I was going to say in regards to the criticism of Dr. Alexander, he has had some legal issues associated with his physician's license and stuff that he's done. Really? Yeah. Like career-wise, it hasn't always been so great. Does that have to do with the near-death experience at all? I don't know. I don't know. But he is in the hot seat, basically. Yeah, he's, he's been in the hot seat on a few things. Critics like to kind of point that out, like, oh, well, he did this, so obviously that invalidates his experience. And that's not what I'm saying at all. I mean, the guy's pretty famous. You can read a whole lot about him on Google. So judge for yourself. I just felt like it should be included. May as well. Yep. The next couple of stories I have are accounts that came from this book called Beyond the Light by P.M.H. Atwater. P.M.H. Atwater. Yep. I wonder what the P.M.H. stands for. I don't know. I feel like that's the first time or one of the few times I've seen three initials and then a last name. Yeah, that's... That's unusual. That's that's crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. The first story I have is one where this is another childhood near-death experience, except this one may have happened uh, when the girl was just a couple of months old. Robin Michelle Halberdier. Halberdier? (laughs) How? Halberdier. Halberdier of Texas City, Texas. She was born premature, and she was also born with something called highline membrane disease, which... Highline membrane disease? Mm -hmm. Which sounds not good. No. It's probably terrible. She was not expected to live, but she did spend a lot of time in the NICU in an incubator and eventually fully recovered. She describes it as her very first memory was her near-death experience. Wow. That's a trip. So I'm going to quote directly from the book passage here. It says, My first visual memory was looking forward and seeing a brilliant bright light, almost like looking directly at the sun. The strange thing was that I could see my feet in front of me as if I were floating upward in a vertical position. I do not remember passing through a tunnel or anything like that, just floating in the beautiful light. A tremendous amount of warmth and love came from the light. There was a standing figure in the light, shaped like a normal human being, but with no distinct facial features. It had a masculine presence. 
The light I have described seemed like it emanated from that figure. Light rays shone all around him. I felt very protected and safe and loved. The figure in the light told me, through what I now know to be mental telepathy, that I must go back, that it was not my time for me to come there. I wanted to stay because I felt so full of joy and so peaceful, but the voice repeated that it wasn't my time. I had a purpose to fulfill, and I could come back after I had completed it. Huh. That's a lot of information to drop on a newborn. <laughs> right? And to retain that, that's that's something else. Although I guess be something that would be hard to forget. Life-changing at any age, I suppose. Apparently, she told her parents about this as soon as she was able to talk. Really? I wonder if she remembers much after it or if she just remembers that and then remembers nothing. Because that would be how, how you would have to have your learning jump started so much to not have the first however many months or years being completely in the dark. Yeah. Because you can't remember. I can't remember anything from like before I was like four or five. No. And certainly nothing that detailed. No. Certainly nothing in months after I was born or the weeks after I was born or whatever. Yeah. She told her parents about a glass case being inside a glass case and so they figured that that was she was probably talking about the incubator she was in oh yeah that would yeah also when she began attending church she saw the picture of jesus and told her mother that that's who she had seen in the light white guy beard Mm -hmm. it's a little bit like (laughs) obi-wan kenobi nice smile (laughs) abs you know (laughs) abs for days it's got an eight pack hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price Go to your happy price, price line. The other story I have from Beyond the Light is one of those cases where it wasn't the guy didn't actually die, like he didn't like medically die and was resuscitated. This is one of those situations where he thought his death was imminent. Yeah, yeah. But he was actually not physically harmed. That's good. This guy was named uh, Julian Milkis, and he was a retired teacher. He states, My mother and I were driving out to the lake one afternoon. My dad was to follow later when he finished work. We were having company for dinner, and as we rode along, my mother spotted some wildflowers on the side of the road. She asked if I wouldn't stop the car and pick them as they would look nice on the dinner table. This is the kind of thing my mother would do. Yeah. 100%. She's like, oh, stop. She's like, oh, look at those flowers. flowers. Can we just pull over and pick some of them? Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) They would look awesome, so yes. (laughs) I pulled over to the right side of the road. Uh, It was not a major highway. Parked the car and went down a small incline to get off the road to pick the flowers. While I was picking the flowers, a car came whizzing by and suddenly headed straight for me. As I looked up and saw what I presumed to be an inevitable death, I separated from my body and viewed what was happening from another perspective. 
My whole life flashed in front of me, from that moment backwards to segments of my life. The review was not like a judgment. It was passive, more like an interesting novelty. He goes on to say that he still thinks of the experience daily and can remember it as if it was yesterday, even years and years later. Yeah. And again, he suffered no injury. The car, right at the last minute, veered away again, and he was not hurt. Nothing but I had to clean those pants. Oh, man. Fuck. That would be terrifying. Car just speeding straight at you. Yeah. You're like, mm, oh, this is it. Yeah. It's not. Not yet, at least. Yeah. Not yet. The near-death experiences that I got from other countries or cultures, I have a story out of China and then a story out of Africa. For China, the case study began with victims of the Tangshan earthquake, which happened in 1976. Okay. It killed a fuckload of people. Pretty big one. Uh, Yeah, it was 240,000 fatalities. Wow. And 160,000 serious injuries. Now, a lot of those injuries were people being buried in collapsing buildings, buried in rubble. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure the earthquake codes were pretty shitty in 1970s anywhere. Yeah, it was pretty bad. As I said, most of them had been buried under the rubble of collapsed buildings. And of all the people that were rescued that were obviously near death, probably near suffocation and other injuries. Yeah. They were able to obtain 81 different accounts of near-death experiences. Oh, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, probably there's more, but this, this, those were the ones that like met, I guess, maybe two or more criteria. I don't know. I don't know how they, they screen for the study, but... I couldn't find that either yeah for many different studies mm-hmm. they just, i mean there's a lot of them but i don't know and i wonder if they do that on purpose so that people can't you know study up and then lie their way in yeah probably it's like why i'm not sure if this is really the case but i've heard that the actual rorschach test is not something you can find you can't find the real ink blots just online maybe oh, okay. that's bullshit i don't know I've heard that. I actually well, that would make sense s- to me. I looked it up on the, up on Snopes the other day, and I couldn't find anything about it. So hmm. that leads me to believe that I'm correct in that. I would believe that. It makes a lot of sense. Of these 81 cases, about half of the survivors reported that during the time that they were near death or when they knew that they were probably going to die, they didn't feel any fear, but they were calm. Right. They also had the full-scale recollection, otherwise known as the life retrospection. Oh, okay, so, yeah. The flashing before yeah, your the eyes. Flashing, the, yeah, the your life flashing before your eyes. Which is something you hear in, in common in pop culture all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's something that is the same, despite, despite two very where? different countries and cultures. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's there as well as the awareness that their consciousness or soul had left their bodies. A lot of them felt that as yeah. well. One third of the people had the feeling of being inside a pipe or passing through a tunnel. They reported sometimes the passage through the tunnel 
was accompanied with loud noises or a feeling of being pulled and compressed. And then also either seeing the light at the end of the tunnel or just knowing that there would be one. Yeah, yeah. Either you saw it or it was implied. Yes. About one quarter of those surveyed experienced encountering incorporeal beings, or ghosts, in other words. Yes. Most were relatives who had passed away. However, some said they saw that fr- friends that were still supposed to be living. Oh, that's and disconcerting. some people said they just saw random strangers. Oh. Also kind of weird, but I guess not if there's just incorporeal beings rolling around. The figures were described as being some kind of light form. There you go. On a fairly consistent basis as well. Yeah. But as far as I know, not Jesus. Because why would they see Jesus? I don't know. I mean, unless he's actually there. Unless maybe he's they actually just, there. Maybe they just don't know who Jesus is. They're like, I don't know. This guy with really great abs <laughs> and like blue eyes and stuff. I'm sure there's a lot of people that would love to believe that. Like, you just saw Jesus. You just don't know. You just don't understand. I'm sure. (laughs) Being all like Chinese and all. But that was (laughs) Jesus you saw. That was our Lord and Savior. Those beings of light. Mm -hmm. They were all Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We can get into, like, some of how the the cultural expectation, again, yeah, plays a part in what is seen. But most people in China would not have the expectation expectation of of seeing Jesus. I mean, I'm sure there's a Christian. Oh, yeah. I mean, there is a Christian community for sure, but it's just just not big. It's more of the minority there for sure. Also, similar to most near death experiences, the survivors that were in this particular case study have all remembered the events very clearly yeah. decades later. Yeah. Life-changing. Mm-hmm. My next story is out of Africa. In 1992, a young man was attacked and nearly killed by a lion. That sounds absolutely horrific. Yeah, can you imagine being mauled by a lion? I can't. No, that's just... Fucked up. That's just awful. Now, allegedly, he was attacked by the lioness because he was attempting to take one of her cubs. Now, I don't know the circumstances under which this was happening, whether he was being trying to help in some way or whether he was being dumb as fuck or... Who knows? Who knows? I know that a lot of... People living a traditional lifestyle in Africa do things with lions that we wouldn't normally do because they lived with them for a long time. And so what seems foolish to us may be less foolish to them because it's something that's common and they're aware of. So, You know what I'm aware of? I'm aware of bears. Come into the damn driveway, get in the garbage. But you know what? I would not go trying to steal a fucking bear cub. No, that's true. However, we don't have any sort of cultural anything around bears, and we're living in a very 
apart from na- nature lifestyle. Yeah, the only reason the bears are around is because we've basically developed like their natural habitat, and the reason and are, are continuing to do so, and so now they have none. Yes. And now they're eating our garbage because, because they need food. Yeah, and we produce stuff they can eat. Mm-hmm. Yes pretty sad i don't know the context of why he was trying to take the lion cub but he got fucking mauled he regardless. got fucking mauled because you know that's what the lioness is gonna do yeah i mean that's what any mother is gonna do you fuck with their offspring and they will fuck you up and fuck him up she did and an apex predator may just fuck you up because you are there so. oh well yeah definitely but if they're not going to they will for sure if you start fucking with their offspring yeah Here is what he experienced in his own words. I could see myself going into some kind of trance. A highway suddenly opened up before me. It seemed to be going endlessly into the sky. Along it were a lot of stars, also spreading up to the sky. Each time I tried to get on the highway, the stars would block my way. I just stood there, not knowing what to do. After a while, the highway and stars disappeared. I woke up and found myself in a hospital bed. Interesting one. Yeah. Very interesting. Seems like it was a little bit of a frustrating experience, if nothing else. Yes. But not wholly unpleasant. And some of these can... It seems like you're at the school dance, almost, and you're just standing there not knowing what to do. Right, right. <laughs> Everyone's got the awesome dance moves, and you're just, you're just like, kind of like, oh, fuck. Shit. Well, these things aren't always pleasant. No, they're not. There are very definite traumatizing and bad near-death experiences. And they are called frightening near-death experiences. They are quite rare and, again, are named fairly obviously. Right. Well, I heard that it was about one in five experiences, actually, a negative one. I didn't actually get a number, but that's still um, amongst near-death experiences. That's not all that rare, I guess, if it's one in five. Although the near-death experiences are still relatively rare, too. I would say in the grand scheme of things, they're probably the the rarest of all of these are the, are the frightening near-death experiences. Plus, uh, they don't get very much uh, publicity. Cause... No, not, not much publicity. Well... Yeah, because you know, I mean, it's 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 a bad experience. You d- it just doesn't sell no, as well. No, I no. would say as these ones where it's like, oh no, Jesus, it's real, it's all real. We are a culture that enjoys the warm fuzzies and descents into the lake of fire. Don't make headlines and don't you know tend to sell a lot of books and such. So. Except for you know everyone's insane morbid love of true crime well yeah but this isn't true crime this is this is hypothesized uh death experiences or hypothesized experiences on the other side and by the other side we mean like the other other side not not heaven is for real but hell is for real these fndes are put into three general classifications loss of control so maybe similar to uh the experience where walking down the highway and you can't really go where you're trying to go. Yes. Feelings of being completely alone in all of reality. That yep. sounds absolutely lovely. 
and just like the dark, hideous, gaping void of nothing, full sensory deprivation. You're just in a, a void of nothing, blackness. And then the kind that is the most, most, most rare, which is a straight up fucking hellscape. Fire, brimstone, demons, the whole nine yards. Right. Sometimes it's just the landscape of purgatory and like the burning. Or whatever. And then other times, like, yeah, there are demon-like ghouls and monsters. It's like a fiery sleep paralysis. Yeah. And you got monsters, like, poking at you with their, like, crazy eyes and all sorts of stuff going on there. None of it good. And they don't actually know why FNDEs happen to who they happen to, because it's not all murderers or rapists or monsters of that nature that are having these. It's regular old people that haven't done horrible things. That anyone knows of. Just right. Uh, but I'm just, that's <laughs> true. I mean, everyone's done but, something shitty, but I mean, not everyone's murdered somebody. Right. Well, you would think if you're going along a religious view here, those that have tried to commit suicide, this has happened to those that have tried to commit suicide, but also people who have tried to commit suicide have had the pleasant near-death yes. experience as well. There you go, yeah. So, But you would think religiously, like, that's, that's a big sin. So, obviously, they're going to have a hellish experience, but that isn't always the case. And then there isn't anything known about other uh, cases where, you know, it was accidental or someone almost killed them or something like that. That Why, why would this person be going to hell there isn't an obvious reason that sticks out yeah it's it's not a suicide victim or someone trying to commit suicide yeah and it wasn't a murderer and it wasn't a rapist right it was just somebody mm-hmm. yeah yeah just something happened to somebody and this was the experience that followed that sucks <laughs> that really does suck a lot yeah i mean i'd be i'd be pretty stoked to find out that heaven was like actually a thing but alternatively i'd really rather there not less... be a hell <laughs> and even even I... if it if it meant my enemies would burn in it for all eternity i would just rather just not yeah don't have to have that part yeah can we just skip that yeah. because let's just say this is something that happens to everyone when we die and let's reserve the judgment yeah let's let's hope for that <laughs> do you have any stories about any experiences i do have one negative nde to discuss this would be the case of matthew botsford in 1992 he walked out of an atlanta restaurant and right into an active shootout oh not fuck. good yeah basically a whole lot of bad luck going have on his there airpods in or something uh it was 1992 i don't think they had airpods they didn't have uh, anything yeah they probably didn't they had like like Walkmans were like a big deal. Like Walkmans or Walkmen? I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever the fuck they were called. Yeah. I'm not that old. At I wasn't rate, that familiar with them. Walked out into yeah. an active shootout. That's, walked out into an active shootout. Wouldn't have had a cell phone he was distracted by. Just, no, just not. Yeah. Wow. No technology to blame his distraction on or anything no, like that. Just getting, yeah. Just, just walking out of a building here. Fuck. Just had a nice meal. He was shot in the head with a 9mm bullet. Oh. And that's when his journey to hell began. Oh, Jesus. And it would continue throughout his 27-day coma. Wow. So the whole time he was in a coma. Mm-hmm. He wrote an account about it. It's called A Day in Hell. And details 
his experience. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. That would be awful. Here's a quote from him. I felt a hot needle-like pierce, excruciatingly painful for a brief moment on the top of my head. Utter darkness enveloped me as if thick black ink had been poured over my eyes. He also described being hung over an abyss as heat blasted from below. And that pairs of demonic eyes crept towards him before a divine entity grabbed him by the waist and said, it's not your time. Oh. Mm-hmm. Pairs of demonic eyes. You know what I see in my head? What? You know the intro to Scooby-Doo? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know what I'm talking about there? Yeah, totally. Like all those like eyes in the dark, those animated eyes in the dark? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of what I'm picturing. Oh, I like it. I'll take it. <laughs> so if you want to know more about it or his current feelings, uh, pick up his book and... Give it a read. Give it a read. I'm sure it's pretty compelling. Yeah. Maybe not information that you necessarily want to think is real or whatever. <laughs> I know I don't, but it's it's a it's a pretty compelling story. Probably somewhat terrifying. Yes. I would be interested to know if he now dreads death or thinks that it's going to be something different or what his whole how has this affected his life? Yeah, what's the after effects? Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the biological and psychological possibilities of all of this stuff. There is a large portion, I would say, of the scientific and medical community that would argue that these visions and reactions all have a medical reason behind them. Yes, an actual, yeah, something's actually happening and this is just what we see because this is happening. They don't know exactly why humans experience these things, but... Biological bodies do produce and release chemicals internally for a variety of reasons. These include steroids, dopamine, ketamine, DMT, adrenaline, along with a variety of others. It's possible that getting flooded with all of these may cause many of the sensations reported in NDEs. DMT is a powerful hallucinogen and could account for many of the things seen and felt. In addition to drugs being produced by the body, Drugs given to the person in attempts to resuscitate them may, in combination with the drugs produced by the body or just by themselves, produce all kinds of crazy feelings and experiences as well. Loss of oxygen in the blood can lead to vision dimming and giving the sensation of entering a tunnel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Many sensations des- described by NDE experiencers are the same as those described by those who lose consciousness due to high G-force. G-force is the gravitational force equivalent, which basically means that the higher the G-force, the heavier the object. Like that ride in at the fair where it spins you around super gravitron. fast. Yeah, gravitron, and so it pins you against the wall. Yeah, or like a centrifuge that they put test tubes in that's also using G-force. Oh, right, the spinny thing? Yes. Yes, okay. The reason that people lose consciousness from high G-force is because the blood is too heavy to circulate through the body properly and parts experience hypoxia or insufficient blood flow. Specifically, your brain. If your brain experiences hypoxia, then some crazy shit's going to happen. That's right. Including loss of color vision. It's called graying out. Tunnel vision. No vision, while still having the ability to hear. And, of course, loss of consciousness. In addition to this, many pilots have reported that they remember seeing themselves in the third person during loss of consciousness. They're 
above themselves, looking into the cockpit, seeing themselves unconscious. So that's the out-of-body portion of the experience. Exactly, and that's very common. That also happens in sleep paralysis a lot, too. Does it? It does. The third person thing, I didn't realize that I, I didn't realize that it that was a part of it. Because you're still dreaming, but you're dreaming of seeing yourself still kind of conscious. It's like really a weird thing. That is pretty fucking weird. It I is mean. it is fucking weird, but they say that there is a medical reason, just like sleep paralysis is a medical thing that happens. They say that this part of the near death experience has a medical explanation too. They've even been able to replicate the experience by stimulating the right temporal parietal junction. They can induce this out-of-body experience artificially. And that's the area of the brain where the temporal and the parietal lobes meet. It's kind of directly above and forward a bit of where your spinal cord enters your head. This is the part of the brain responsible for collection, combination, and processing of information from the visual, auditory, and somatosensory systems. Somatosensory is the sense of touch. If this part of the brain is damaged or impaired, it can cause amnesia, Alzheimer's, schizophrenia. It can really affect your memory. Yes. (laughs) It really can fuck with your memory. This is also one of the reasons that people say that they meet relatives during the near-death experience. Oh, yes. So... It's basically the same medical reasoning, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, those hallucinations often uh, include seeing people who aren't there, talking to people who aren't there. Yeah, yeah. Again, damage to that part of the brain can cause something similar to happen. You might see somebody that you remember from your past. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And in addition to being able to manipulate that part of the brain, they've also, a doctor named Dr. James Winery, would put people in one of these Gravitron things in a giant human centrifuge and spin their asses around and was able to get, I'm not sure how big, how many people he had in here, but 40 different people reported out-of-body experiences as a result of the test, including the doctor. Interesting. Yes. Pretty, Pretty strange. Now... Just because we can manufacture the out-of-body experience, that doesn't necessarily explain why or how they're able to see things correctly while they're dead. Although, I would say sometimes memory has something to do with it. Like with the guy with the dentures. Yeah, they could have just... It's just, maybe the nurse put put them in a spot every night or something they've like that got only those kinds of carts around and so it's very obvious and that's what i said about this the, the shoelaces like maybe it was crazy shoelace day and there's or maybe they all put plaid ones on to be crazy for some reason or i don't know i mean there's there's definitely that because your brain records everything mm-hmm. just because you can't remember it it's say always recording information. Saying you can't remember something is, isn't really a good way of saying it. Saying you can't recall something is more accurate. Because it's in there somewhere. Oh, it's in there somewhere. And then, so weird things get played back at random times. Yes, that's true. That happens in dreams a lot, too. Yes, yeah. The mind is just fucking crazy. 
Well, let's hear about a few more weird things about these near-death experiences. Again, we're going to... The nice thing about this field of research is that everything about it is very easily named. It's it's named something that's not weird. It makes sense. You you know what it's about by the name. Right. It's like in a kitchen appliance, a refrigerator. What does it do? It refrigerates. The toaster, what does it do? It toasts. It's, you know, a very, it's very, it's, it's, it's great. I like it. The awareness during resuscitation study. Huh? Uh-huh. What do you think that is? It's a study about people's awareness during resuscitation. Hey, it's also known as the AWARE study. This study focused on heart attacks. A total of 2,060 were looked at, and out of these, 101 of the 140 survivors, which seems like a pretty low rate of surviving, wow. completed questionnaires about awareness during their cardiac arrest. I'm not sure why 39 didn't complete it. It was put in a way that made it sound like those who did not complete it were unable to for some reason. Well, maybe So maybe they're because... just too fucking sick. Yeah. And they just couldn't do that or like their heart is working but their fucking head's dead. Yeah, they were in a coma and they were just you know, that sort of thing. And and then also I don't And you wake up and you you know, you can't do shit anymore. And I don't know out of those, you know, two thousand and change, if they were all that were in the hospital. It could have been ones that were brought in as well. True. So some of these could have been too late to begin with. That's fair. Just over nine of those one hundred people had what could be considered a near-death experience. The number I read was 9% of 101, which is 9.09. Just over nine people. It's weird. I wonder how how are you just over a person? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe a few of them were, maybe each one of them was like 0.01 more of a person. And so, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's math. I just don't even want to. Fuck it. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) That's fuck it math. Of those nine people, two of them described out-of-body experiences. Neither of these two people were in rooms that had ceiling shelves. This is noteworthy because oftentimes there are pictures on ceiling shelves to corroborate out-of-body experiences. These pictures are placed in a way so they cannot be seen by people in normal places in the room. It's like the just-in-case. Yeah, like there's like, like I don't oh, know. Oh, hey, like if somebody flatlines and they come back, let's put these pictures here. Exactly. So if they do Did you come back and remember Pepe Le Pew or whatever, this is our way of testing that information. Yeah. Uh, despite the lack of shelving, one of these two accounts was too sick to really be very accurate in telling their story. But the other one, the other one gave information that was corroborated by the medical professionals in the room describing events that occurred and things said. Out of 2,000 and change cases, they got one that they could really nail down. As like, this guy really... It was, he was saying... Said exactly what was happening. What was happening, what was said. It was, you know, not just, I've seen medical shows and so I've got this like preconceived notion of stuff. It was straight up just like, okay, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Fucking weird. Right. Here's a play-by-play of everything you did while I was supposedly dead. Right. A second AWARE study is currently underway. It started out as a two-year study, but has been extended and is expected to complete in 2020. Recruitment for this began in August of 2014, and the study was supposed to end May 31st, 2017. I'm not sure why they extended it. Couldn't find that information. The guy behind both of the studies is called Sam Parnia. 
his end game with all of this research is he wants better ways of CPR, like a, a better automated way of CPR. His main area of focus his main area of focus is ways of keeping oxygen in the brain in order to reduce damage. This is for people with both long-term brain and brain injuries and disorders, as well as for people in comas. He believes that understanding consciousness is key to this and should be part of the study of heart attack brain damage research. Human consciousness is not understood really by science at all, as we kind of mentioned earlier. Oh, no. And so it's an interesting thing to throw that in with everything. I don't see why it's not. Other than the fact that we have no idea anything about it. And so maybe it's well, just it's frustrating. very complex. It's a very complex thing. It's like, why the fuck do we have a soul? Or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Or whatever well, the fuck it is. Maybe we should start throwing academics at it, you know, making academics think about this sort of thing so that maybe we can have an idea. There are some psychological theories for why NDEs occur and are split into four main models. Dissociation is one of these models. It's proposed that. A NDE is the consciousness withdrawing to perfect itself from trauma. Others believe that NDEs are the brain reliving the experience of birth and preparation for death. However, as adults, the senses are much more acute, and the person is able to return the memory of the experience. So would this be the tunnel? Yeah. <laughs> is that when they're visioning the tunnel? Yeah. Like the whole thing. Like the tunnel, okay. the warmth, the light, the love, it's all It's all that just shit. vagina. Just popping out of the old vag. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, vaginas are pretty fucking magical. They are. They we've taught. They make it so that mm -hmm. babies have an immune system when they come out, right? Because they're they're and dirty they birth and magical. Baby, they birth babies, and yeah, and they're magical in, in many many other ways. In many ways, you can pull rabbits out of them. <laughs> uh, they can always guess the right card. It's amazing. They can lure men to their death. They can, especially mermaid <laughs> vaginas. It's also possible that at the time of death or the perceived possibility of death, the brain creates a scenario made up of what the individual expects to happen after death. Many times, however, we'll report the similar things we spoke about earlier, despite their different religious beliefs. However, but since still... a lot of them do still see something to do with whatever culture or religion they belong to, that would, I would say, expectation does play a part. Oh, I think so as well. Otherwise, why would people who expect to see something in an afterlife see something there? Right. And if something's actually there, why isn't it always there? The final model is similar to disassociation, with the exception that the experiencer is aware of everything going on around them, but for whatever reason does not experience any panic or anxiety about their imminent death. Just kind of acceptance, I guess. Well, that's the euphoria that comes over. Euphoria, and and also maybe like an out of body experience, kind of you're outside of yourself watching all this shit go down, so you're not so concerned about it since you're mm -hmm. you're just on the outside. Would you like to uh, close us out with a couple more stories, Joanna? I do have a couple more. The first I thought was pretty cool because it's about one of my favorite people ever which is Ernest Hemingway oh yes love his stuff he just I've heard of him before yeah yeah he's kind of a famous author <laughs> had a place in Key West oh very nice I didn't get to see it when I was down there the one and only time I've been down to the Florida Keys because 
I just wasn't there for long enough. It was for a wedding, and oh yeah, and just it's... didn't have enough time to do to do all the things. It, it was pretty awesome. I'm not complaining, but nevertheless, I would love to get back there and see Hemingway's house for sure, and have some time to do some Florida stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just when you're in Florida, you got to do the Disney. You got to do the Disney World, and that will just suck down so much time. There's never enough time to do Disney proper. Oh, yeah. I went to Disney World after I graduated high school for like a week, I think. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's great. I love it. But you could spend so much time just doing that and should just do that because of the money to get the full experience of it. Yeah. But it does leave very little time for any other cool things that you might want to do in Florida, of which there are many. There's some beautiful national parks I want to get to and Hemingway's house. Yeah. I need like a, I need like a month in Florida. If you got and any that, bodies, that's it. Then I can probably not go back again anytime soon. Got any bodies you need to get rid of? There's lots of alligators right, around. Right, right, right. Ernest Hemingway fought in World War I. In 1918, while fighting on the banks of the river Piave, I'm going to say. P-I-A-V-E. It's in Italy. Sounds good. He was severely wounded by shrapnel. That's awful. <laughs> yeah. While he was in the hospital recovering, he wrote a letter to his family and stated, Dying is a very simple thing. I've looked at death, and really, I know. Years later, he would describe to a friend the full account of what happened. He said, A big Austrian trench mortar bomb, one of the type that used to be called ash cans, exploded in the darkness. I died then. I felt my soul or something coming right out of my body like you'd pull a silk handkerchief out of a pocket by one corner. It flew around and then came back and went in again, and I wasn't dead anymore. Wow. Yeah. If this is true, then he was likely referencing this experience of his in one of his books called uh, Farewell to Arms. Oh, yeah. Great book. Yeah. It contains a passage where the character Frederick Henry has a similar close encounter with death. And this is the passage from the book. I ate the end of my piece of cheese and took a swallow of wine. Through the other noise, I heard a cough. Then came the cha-cha, cha-cha. Then there was a flash, as when a blast furnace door is swung open, and a roar that sounded, that started white and went red and on and on in a rushing wind. I tried to breathe, but my breath would not come. And I felt myself rush bodily out of myself, and out and out and out, and all the time, bodily in the wind. I went out swiftly, all of myself, and I knew I was dead, and that it had all been a mistake to think you just died. Then I floated, and instead of going on, I felt myself slide back. I breathed, and I was back. Wow. He's a pretty great writer. Yeah. Yeah, there's... Uh... There's just so many quotes and passages from his books. It's just like, oh my God, Ernest Hemingway. Like, you break my heart. Your writing is so beautiful. Right. Yeah. I'm a huge fucking nerd for beautifully written things. Prose before hose. <laughs> I love that. I've never heard that before. That's fucking <laughs> awesome. Now, here's one I found by a person on reddit so it's like a first-hand account that they posted on reddit and oh, i yeah. thought it was pretty interesting it's a little bit longer but i 
field. If I'm taking this person's story off Reddit and reading it, I should read it in its entirety. All right. It was posted about a year ago. The user's name is PWNographic. Kind of like Ponographic. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, yeah. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, good call. That, that's what I was thinking. That's cool. I got a good name. It is. Ponographic. Ponographic. I like it. The title is Three Minutes Dead, My Non-Religious NDE. Hello. So this happened roughly two weeks ago. I had recently moved overseas and got really sick. I was on a ketogenic, no-carb diet that ended up fucking up the lining of my stomach. I would get waves of nausea and vomiting, which eventually would stop after a few hours. Until a few days after arriving in Canada, it got really, really bad one night after eating some Greek fries. And fuck. Every time I picture Greek fries in my mind, it makes me so sick. That's too bad. Greek yeah. fries are good as shit. Oh my god, they are so good. I would hate if I suddenly had an aversion to Greek fries. Yeah, fuck that. That would suck. Yeah. Anyways, the abdominal pain was really bad, and I was puking once every five minutes. I checked myself into the ER at a local hospital. It was fucking bad. It's funny, I can't say fucking very naturally when I'm trying to read someone else <laughs> writing fucking. <laughs> it just doesn't flow. It's gotta flow. come from the heart. It just doesn't flow. Yeah, it's just not, it's not a fuck that comes from the heart. That's... <laughs> <laughs> not only did my insurance not cover anything because I had symptoms prior to leaving the country, I was waiting for a doctor for eight hours. I was nonstop puking every couple of minutes. Eventually, I was completely dehydrated. That is awful. Oh, God. That's just the worst. By the time they hooked me up to an IV, did some x-rays and blood tests, unable to find the problem, all they could do was give me anti-nausea medication that didn't work at all, and monitored me throughout, and they monitored me throughout the night. During my stay, my body was rejecting the IV and hydration. My veins were flat, and I was unaware that my arm was not taking any of it. With a combination of dehydration and sleep deprivation gave me high blood pressure. This was the most physical pain I had ever felt in my life. I have had broken bones, been shot and stabbed. Damn. Jesus. But this pain was unbearable. Eventually, everything went black, and this is what I experienced. I didn't see any white light or angels, didn't hear any voices. I could see, but I didn't have a body. But it felt like it did, if that makes any sense. It's really hard to explain in words, but I'll try my best. It was like I was on another planet. When I looked down, I saw sand, and there was also very shallow water. It was like an endless shore. The water was probably an inch or two high, but the best way I could describe it is when you walk into the very shallow end of the shore of a beach, and the shallow end is just endless, like the water never got deeper or shallower. Like a sandy wading pool. Yeah. And I would say maybe what is low tide. Yeah. And it yeah. kind of this that shallowness just extends. Totally. For a really long time. When I looked up, the sky was purple. There wasn't a sun. The only thing lighting the skies were these blue rays of light with a tinge of yellow on the sides. But I feel like the most significant thing about my entire experience was the feeling I had. Holy shit. The feeling was so foreign to me. It just felt like every single problem I had, every single issue, no matter how big or how small, was just gone. It was all gone. Every single care I had was all gone, like the weight of the world was completely lifted off my shoulders. 
You know how you worry about small things like time, having to constantly check your watch and see how much time you have left? That little tiny feeling of stress and anxiety? Even the most tiniest worries were just gone. I just existed. It felt like everything was going to be okay, and I didn't have to worry about a single thing. It was what I imagined what the piece was like to the full extent. It felt amazing. It, I felt peaceful. I was happy. This was going on for what felt like hours, and I was happy. All of a sudden, I felt this falling feeling. Everything went black, and I just felt like I was falling faster and faster. Then all of a sudden, there was a huge snap, like my body vibrated, like when you pull back a ruler and let it go. I'm assuming that's like one of those measuring tape things. Yeah, probably. Yeah. You pull it, and then it snaps right back. Like a yo-yo when you pull it back up. mm Mm-hmm. That's when I started feeling everything again, all the worries and the sadness. I felt really sad. I felt the pain again. When I woke up, the nurse told me what had happened. She explained that my heart had stopped beating for three minutes and that they had found another vein to keep me hydrated. Wow. I felt really depressed afterwards, and I still do. I had been trying to look up near-death experiences similar to mine but couldn't find anything until I found this subreddit. But yeah, I still feel sad. I just have this feeling now that I don't belong here, like I'm not supposed to be here. It might sound crazy, but I actually miss that feeling, and I also kind of look forward to death. Has anyone else experienced a near-death experience and started feeling like this? The depression is pretty real. And the author closes by saying, Anyways, just wanted to share this experience because I have trouble trying to explain it to my friends without looking like a nutcase. Just feel very alone with this. That's uh, and I think that's that's a pretty real thing that I think is also maybe not discussed as much because it's not like, oh, it changed my life. I'm not afraid of death anymore. But it could, yeah. Yeah, yeah. instead it's it's a feeling like I kind of wish I was back there. I'm sad now without this feeling of peace. And that's probably one of the things that the people that put out the magazine do because they, they help people with the after effects of having a near-death experience as well. Mm-hmm. Because as you can see, it's not always positive. Even if you had a positive experience, that doesn't mean it leaves a positive impact on you, so to speak. If you have had a near-death experience and you do need to talk to someone about it, the IANDS, they are a nonprofit organization. They help people with the after effects of, of this sort of thing. That's the International Association for Near-Death Studies. And I'm sure they probably, at least at the very least, have some great resources probably on their webpage. Yeah, yeah. check out like the website and maybe they'll find other people that are are like you, or have had similar experiences at least. Because I can guarantee probably this person on Reddit is not alone. Unlikely. There are billions of people on the planet. No one is the only person who's ever experienced anything. Well, that's about all I have on near-death experiences. Me as well. I've never experienced a near-death experience. Never experienced an out-of-body experience, I don't think. Although it's possible one time I did. I kind of feel like I have during sleep paralysis a little bit. Yeah. Like it's happening to me, but I've also kind of had a visual of it happening to me. I had a dream when I was a child. I wasn't a child. I was I was a child. I was in elementary school. But I would take an escalator up into the clouds hmm. with a friend and my mom. And then there was a square in the clouds I could look down and I would get pushed off or fall off. And when I would wake up. I would wake up horizontal to my ceiling, very close to the ceiling. 
and it's possible that was just part of the dream. But I would wake up bouncing on the bed on my back. So hmm. who knows what it was? Could have been an out-of-body experience. Could have just been a dream. Well, thank you for listening. Check us out on all our social medias. We're on Spotify, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's all Stranger Than or Stranger Than Podcast. We have a group, The Strange Space, on Facebook. Join us there. It's fun. You can get t-shirts or phone cases or pillows or all kinds of shit at our TeePublic site. It's tpublic.com slash user slash Stranger Than Podcast. Check out Age of Radio. That's our new podcast network. They've got all kinds of other podcasts that are great. Color Me Dead is one, one of our favorites. Love those gals. There's also all kinds of sponsors on that page you can take a look at. Also check out our Patreon. Check out our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Stranger Than Podcast. Donate a dollar. Donate two. Donate five. We appreciate each and every person who donates towards the cause. And we appreciate each and every person who listens to us as well. Absolutely. And we will talk to you next time. We sure will. And stay strange. Thank you.